Everybody doing well? Good week so far? Halfway through? That's a good thing. It's a great thing. Moms, you may feel, feel like, I don't know what day of the week it is. It's, it's just another diaper day. I, I get it. We, we were there. We were there. So let me pray real quick. Father, we just thank you for this time. I just thank you for your grace and your wisdom. Father, thank you that you have put into your word everything we need. Father, that we can go to your word when we have questions, concerns, or worries, and know that, Father, there's nothing you haven't already thought of, Lord, that you are you're the author of family, and that you have put into your word the instructions that we need. Lord, I just thank you for this time and this opportunity. Love you and praise you. Amen. Okay, so thanks for having me. Um, I hope to give you some morsels of my experience. I would probably come short of calling it wisdom. It's certainly not my wisdom. Any lessons that I have learned have been expressly from the hand of the Lord, from His wisdom, from His Word, not through my understanding. Now, in case you don't know, Michelle and I, we have three kids. Our oldest, Michaela, is 29. She's married to Jimmy. She's living in Denver, Colorado now. She's a physical therapist. Our middle, Josh, is 28. He is married to Ashlyn. They go to GBC here. They have our first grandchild, a baby boy named Sawyer. He is a lawyer here in town, or studying for the bar anyway, uh, in town. Our youngest, Abigail, she's 24. Sometimes she lives in Wichita, sometimes she lives here. Just depends. She's a uh, OB-GYN, labor-delivery nurse in Wichita. So when she's got a couple of days off, she comes back here. She is not yet married. And by the grace of God, and I truly mean that, by the grace of God, each of our kids is a believer and has thus far chosen to walk with the Lord. We have lit, Michelle and I have lived in Hutchinson for 28 years. All of our kids grew up here. We have been at Grace for over 15 years. Now, this isn't going to be my usual talk. This is not exegetical. It's not going to be a super heavy analysis of a passage of Scripture, but I think that the experiences that I am sharing with you are based in Scripture. I'm hoping this will be more conversational in tone and uh, more of a how we approached teen years in our family and beyond. Now, if you have any questions about what I say, feel free to speak up. That's totally okay. And I hope to leave plenty of time at the end for questions with Michelle and me. So, as I look at here, you guys are mostly the parents of young children, and you yourselves are still very young and energetic, right? Go get them. <laughs> I'm certain that all your kids are very cute and cuddly. They're all angels right now, but I promise you, your kids will mature and change. And as they do, the challenges that they encounter and that they will present will be different for each one of you and for each child. Now, right now, I'm sure you're thrilled if they get their shoes on the right feet. We were once as well, but eventually they grow up. And God's Word contains many sound principles for raising your children, and I would strongly encourage you to make sure that you know them, know these principles, use them in your parenting. What I'm sharing with you is what we have learned in applying these principles from God's truth to our children. So as your kids get older, there are many opportunities for personal sanctification that you will face. Here are a few, and these are in no particular order. I'm not ranking these, but the first thing you're going to run into is friends. Friends, and the verse that I think applies to this is Proverbs 13, 20. He who walks with wise men will be wise, 
but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Friends can be one of the better parts of watching your kids grow, or sometimes it can be one of the more challenging aspects. Kids will start to detach from you as parents, and they will start identifying more with their peer groups as they move from junior high to senior high. I read a statistic, 75% of the time you spend with your child is done by age 12, 90% by age 18. I don't say that to depress you, but I'm just saying they, who they identify with as their peer group is obviously then important. The friends that your kids choose can have a tremendous impact on the trajectory of their life. They will be, in a lot of ways, defined by their relationships and who they associate with. So take time while they're younger. Take time to talk to your kids about what it is to be a good friend. Take time to discuss what it is to have a good friend. What sort of qualities should they be looking for in a friend? Life will provide plenty of opportunities for these conversations. If your child comes home hurt by another child, discuss the actions of both involved. Was your child acting as a friend? Was the other child acting as a friend? How do friends treat, uh, treat each other? And most importantly, what does biblical forgiveness look like? Now, this isn't just for your elementary school kids. Some of the greatest hurts that our kids experienced were in junior high, where kids are actually changing almost as fast as their friend groups. It was tough to keep up with who was friends with who and who was in and who was out. It was kind of hard sometimes. Which brings us to the next point of friendship. Parents, you need to know who your kids' friends are. You need to know them. You need to know their peer group. Do these kids, these friends, do they go to church? If they do, where do they go? What are their friends' interests and goals? Are your kids' friends people who will draw them closer to the Lord or pull them away? Do they help your child or hinder your child? And the only way you're going to know that is by spending time with these friends. You need to be doing that. You need to know their family, especially if they become close friends. You need to know, this is important, you need to know, is it okay for your kids to go over to their house? Or would they benefit more being over at your house? As much as we are able, we have, we have tried to keep our kids' friends over at our house. Uh, not in a controlling way, but just to make sure that we know who our kids are hanging out with and we know their heart as well. That way we could get to know them as well as letting them get to know us, which is a good thing. It should be. So where is it that your kids will find their friends? Generally, their friends will come from those groups with whom they spend the most time, right? Makes sense. The kids they're around the most, that's where they're going to pick their friends from. Now, as most things in life, you can't control every variable, but you can do your best to stack the deck in your favor. You can't control it all, but you can heavily slant the odds. And that's what we try to do as parents. Make sure as best you can that the groups that your kids are in, those from whom they will choose their friends, are positive groups. So there are some groups that you have very little control over, like your neighborhood. You have no control over who buys a house next to you. You, you. you can't control that. Some groups within school, which kids go out for cross country or which kids go out for debate. You, you have no control over that. Some of these groups are just plain knuckleheads. They just are. And you will run into that, I promise you. 
Another group you really have little control over is extended family. Okay, sometimes the cousins aren't raised the same or else they're just at a different stage of development. We ran into this with Josh when um, his, all of his cousins were older and he was out six or seven at this time. And his older boy cousins, which he of course wanted to be with, were downstairs watching a movie. We would not have let him watch this movie. But here he, here he is with the older boy cousins watching the movie and he came up and his eyes were like this. <laughs> And he thought it was the coolest thing ever. It's like, well, learning experience for us and for him. So you don't necessarily have a whole lot of control over that. And it wasn't anything malicious on the cousin's part. They're just older. And they can watch things that Josh couldn't watch at that time. Now, conversely, there are some, some groups that you do have some control over. Church. What church are they going to go to? Are they there at church? Play groups. What play groups are they going to belong to? Make sure you know the families of these playgroups. Online communities. Make sure you know what online community your kids are part of, if any. You know, if they're on a, a chat, uh, a message board all the time, if they're in chat rooms, you need to know it. And you need to know who they're talking to. Another one you have some control over is school. What school are they going to go to? That can have a tremendous impact on who their friends turn out to be. Where is the best place to send them? We did every version of schooling. We did homeschooling. We did part uh, school, part homeschool. We did Christian school. We did public school. We did them all. And not every kid can do public school. Not every kid should do public school. Not every kid can do homeschooling. Not every kid should do homeschooling. You need to understand the individual strengths and weaknesses of your child. You need to know what the best environment is for them. Is your child grounded in the word? Is your child to be salt and light or is your child easily swayed? If there's someone who tends to go along with the you know, prevailing current, they probably shouldn't be in public school. Okay, I would strongly advise against that. But if there's someone who can stand strong, maybe they can be in public school. Okay, but you've got to know your child. So I would also put in a plug for Christian school. I think, yeah, two thumbs up on Christian school. Our kids did very well there and enjoyed it. So if you can at all do it, that, I would say that should be your first choice. But you've got to use wisdom in placing your child and how much control to exert on your child, especially as they transition from teen to adult realizing your influence will wane as they age. It's going to. And again, not necessarily a bad thing if you're preparing them for it. The second thing to consider when raising your children is church. Church. And the verse, a couple of verses for this, Hebrews 10, 24 to 25, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another not forsaking the assembling together. We're supposed to get together as the body. Proverbs 2.6 For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. Where are they going to get wisdom and knowledge? They're going to get it right here. They're not going to get it out in the world. It's going to be here where the, where the word is taught. So church will only be as important to your children as it is to you. Do you understand that? 
Church will only be as important to your children as it is to you. Make church a priority in your family. And dad, this responsibility is yours. This responsibility falls to you. You cannot abdicate this to your wife. When you stand before the Lord to give an account, he will be asking you what you did to promote the spiritual growth of your children. He won't be asking your wife. He's going to be asking you. This is your responsibility. Make sure your church is one that you can grow in individually and as a family. Make sure that you have read, understood, and agree with the doctrinal statement. Make sure they have a doctrinal statement. Make sure your kids understand what sort of truths must be in a doctrinal statement. I, it wouldn't, when, when the kids are appropriately old enough, it is not unreasonable to go through the doctrinal statement with them so that they understand. This is what a solid church believes. Because one day they're going to have to make that decision on their own. What church am I going to go to? And they need to know what to look, look for. So take the time to do that. And then once you have chosen a church, you must be there. You must be there. Pursue membership. Get involved. We are rapidly getting to a point where club sports are replacing church. If, if you are allowing MAYB basketball or Azuri soccer to take priority over church, what message are, are you sending to your kids? And maybe you're not even there yet. Good. Okay, great. You will get there, and you need to decide now how you're going to handle that. Is MAYB basketball more important than Sunday morning worship? I hope the answer is no. And you understand that and you see that and you make this the priority. You can do MAYB on Saturdays. And if you have a Sunday morning game, you forfeit it. Okay, we did that. That's fine. It works. Nothing wrong with that. But make sure you're sending your kids the right message about the importance of church. Are they involved in Wednesday night? What service opportunities exist for your kids to be involved in? Maybe you should do them as a family, these service opportunities, so that they understand the importance of service to the body. Your kids should not just be passively consuming church. Great, you got them here on Wednesday, but now what? It's got to be more than that. They've got to understand that this is a body we're here to serve in the body. And they can do that by helping Mrs. Johnson rake her yard or whatever. You know, pick the service project. Ask the youth leader. I'm sure they've got a list of things that your kid could help with. And I think that'd be a great way to get them involved. Make sure you know what your kids are being taught. Know that you need to sit in on a Sunday school. I would encourage you to sit in on a Sunday school. Make sure you know the youth pastor. Have them over for dinner. Make sure you know their heart. We were at a church where the youth pastor was literally teaching heresy. Heresy. And we had literally, we had to leave. Our, our daughter was getting ready to go to into high school. And uh, we started looking at what they were doing in youth group. And it's like, no, we're not sitting under this. And so we had to leave. That's how we ended up here. By the grace and providence of God, I mean, thankfully. But you need to know what they're teaching. Third, third thing to think about before it happens is dating. Dating, Proverbs 4.23. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of light. Watch over your heart with all diligence. This is a major milestone for our kids. Asking someone out or being asked out is a big deal. I remember the first time I asked a girl, girl out, it was Michelle. <laughs> I was terrified. I was terrified. Anyway, it's a big deal. 
So who are they going to like? Sometimes it's a little bit of a head scratcher. It's like, really? That one? Okay. But you do have some control over what they do and where they go. Dad, dad, listen, this is for you. Any young man who comes to date your daughter, you meet them. Period. You meet them. You get to know them. What kind of person are they? Where do they go to church? What are his parents like? Are his parents still married? What is his relationship with his dad like? And this is one you really need to know. What is his relationship with his mom like? If he is sassy, disrespectful, or demeaning to his mother, he will treat your daughter the same way. I guarantee it. You need to know what his relationship with his mom is like. What does he like to do in his free time? Where are they going on the date? Fair question. What time will they be back? Make sure, and this goes for boys and girls, make sure they have location sharing turned on for your kids before they leave the house. And it's not to spy on them. It's not to snoop. It's for safety reasons. They, that, that needs to be on. That's non-negotiable. Honey, if you can't turn it on, you're not going on the date. That's just how it is. Curfews are okay and should be enforced. You are still your daughter's father and you are her protector. Make sure your daughter is completely prepared. And by this I mean that she knows how a young man is to treat her because that is how you have treated your wife and that is how you have treated her. That she knows who she chooses to marry is the most important decision of her life. It will affect her and her children for the rest of her life. That she knows that she is free to end the date at any time for any reason and you are always willing to come and get her wherever and whenever. Guys, make sure your daughter knows this. If this isn't working out, you call me, I will be there. Make sure she knows this. You are her protector. If they get more serious, make sure you hear from the young man a solid testimony. I would suggest you, sh you start by sharing your own. Share your own testimony so that they know I'm a believer and I just need to know that you are too. Take the opportunity to disciple the young man. I can almost guarantee you that given today's culture, they have not been discipled before. Disciplines of a Godly Man by R. Kent Hughes is a very good book. I would strongly recommend it. What kind of job is he going to have? How will he support a family? Does he understand that he is to be the provider and protector of your daughter? Does he understand that he is now to be the spiritual leader of the home and he is responsible for her growth before the Lord? The prospective son-in-law should ask your permission to marry your daughter. It's also a good time to cement in these truths. Mom, dating, mom. You get to meet any prospective dates for your son. Same questions. Where does she go to church? What is her family like? Are her parents still married? What is her relationship with her father like? This one's important. What is her relationship with her father? Does she have a good, solid male role model in her life that provides her security and self-confidence? Or is she longing for male attention and seeking it in the wrong forms? You need to know this. And it will be displayed in what her relationship is with her father. If, if she has a good dad and she has a good relationship with him, she's going to have a good outlook on dating. If she doesn't, beware. If they get more serious, mom, know, know her testimony. 
Take the opportunity to disciple her. Invite her family over. Find out her career goals and instill in her the idea of being a helpmeet. Mom, make sure your son is prepared. That he is practiced on how to treat a woman by how he treats you. That he has thought beforehand what he's looking for in a wife. That he knows not to lead on the heart of a woman. If he is not interested or if they're not compatible, he needs to end the relationship. Don't date just to date. Don't. It's, it's just too destructive. Fourth area to look at in teens, discipline. Discipline. Proverbs 13, 24. You've heard this one in here before. He who withholds the rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. That's different disciplining an older child and a young adult. I hope you aren't still spanking your children when they're in high school. It just doesn't work. So what other forms of discipline can be used? Screen time. That's a big one nowadays. Screen time. Limit their screen time. Limit privileges like driving or being on the phone. Time with friends. Nope, you're not going out tonight, honey. Okay? Remember when you were sassy and you didn't clear the table like I asked? You're not going out tonight. Natural consequences. Do not shield your child from natural consequences of their actions. If detention is required for what they did, they should serve detention. If an apology is necessary to the neighbor because of your child's action, he or she should apologize and make restitution. They need to make it right. There may be a financial consequence to their disobedience. If a cost is incurred because they weren't following instructions or generally being foolish, have them pay it. It's on them. They should pay it. And if it means they have to get a job, they get a job to pay it. You're, you don't have to cover that. You shouldn't cover that. That would be wrong, honestly. Give them additional chores. Don't let them sleep in on Saturday. Get them up early. And guess what, kids? We're going to go mow the yard, all of you. Or we're going to go dig a ditch. You know, I don't need a ditch, Doug, but we're going to dig one anyway. Doesn't matter. Tomorrow we'll come out and fill it back up. It's a good thing. Scripture is also very clear, and Hadley talked on this a couple of weeks ago. You must be careful not to provoke your children. Part of this means that as you age, you must allow them more freedom. You can't and you won't be in control of everything. They need to practice the skill of weighing options and prioritizing potential outcomes within a biblical framework and in the safety of your home so that they can learn to come to the correct decision safely. It is important that while they're still home to see where they land. You need to do this intentionally so you can see how's this going to work out. Are they going to end up on A or B? And we know A is much better, but if they end up on B, all right, let's back up and let's go through this. How did we get over here when we should have ended up over here? That's okay. They should be doing that kind of stuff while they're at home. And it's an opportunity to teach them. <clears throat> Also, when you discipline, you must discipline honestly. Honestly. What do I mean by that? Well, it's amazing how often you will see the sins that you have struggled with your whole life crop up in your kids. Now, I don't know if this is learned or if there's something just innate to our sin. It's probably both. But it's a very humbling thing to see. When your child crops up an attitude, 
and it's it's on full display. You see that it is sin and it needs to be addressed. And then suddenly the Holy Spirit shows you this is your sin. This is exactly what you do. And they're just showing you what it looks like to everybody else. That's a very humbling experience. And if you're honest with yourself, you're going to experience it. I guarantee it. Christian, don't minimize your own sin. Don't pretend that what your son or daughter is now struggling with is completely foreign to you and that you are just shocked that they would ever do such a thing. I would never do that myself, you say, right? That is, that's a lie. That's just a lie. Christian, be honest. You don't have to give them all the gory details, but be real to your kids. Let them know you are a sinner too and you are in need of God's grace. There's no reason to minimize and pretend that somehow you have never struggled with sin. You're not perfect, and they know it. They already know it. So don't pretend you are. Be honest with your kids. Let them know how through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the accountability of a loving church, that you have overcome your sin. And let them know what helped you the most. Be honest. Be real with your kids. <clears throat> Always. Always discipline and love. Never discipline and anger. There are few always and nevers. That's one of them. Always discipline and love. Never discipline and anger. Never make it a power struggle. Make it solely, this action happens, this consequence is the result. This action happened, this consequence is the result. That, it's, it's just purely transactional at that point. And always reaffirm the relationship afterwards. Always. Be very straightforward. No emotion. Take the emotion out of it. And if it means you need to take a 30-second time out while the kid's in the room, that's okay. Take the 30-second time out to get yourself together. So next, how do you handle TV, movies, music, social media with a teen? Psalm 101, verse 3, I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. Know what kind of media your kids are consuming. If they are listening to music, you should listen to it at least once. And you should do it with the lyrics in front of you so you know what they're saying. Because most of the time you can't tell what they're saying. But put the lyrics up there, follow along, so you know exactly what your kids are putting into their minds. There should only be one, maybe two TVs in the house they should be located in a central room. Kids should not have televisions in their, in their bedroom. Period. Ever. That is just a terrible idea. Don't. So it's one central location, wide open. Everybody can see what's being watched. If you're going to watch movies, I would encourage movie nights as a family. I think that's a good thing. We did that. Our kids enjoyed it. It's a good time together. You have a lot more control over what they're watching and you have an opportunity to discuss what they are watching. And that discussion should be more than, well, how was it? Good. No. Okay. What did this character struggle with? How did they overcome it? How did you see sin as part of the plot? You know, it, it's a good conversation starter, a very good conversation starter. Think long and hard before getting your kid a tablet or a smartphone. Now, I know schools are getting ridiculous about it where kids in like sixth grade are needing smartphones to be able to communicate with the teacher and students and get assignments and things. I think that's absurd. 
But that's where we are. I understand that. But think long and hard before you get them a tablet or a smartphone. I would absolutely recommend filtering software for any device. I would also encourage you to delay social media as long as possible. As long as possible. Social media can only destroy. It's like, you know, the ring in Lord of the Rings. It only has the power to destroy. That's all it can do. Especially to a developing teenage mind. Okay, so as long as you can delay social media, do it. No passwords on any devices. They don't get to have passwords. If they have to have a password, say, for school, mom and dad get to know the password. Mom and dad have the freedom to open up and look through the tablet or laptop or phone at any time. And I would encourage you to do this. If they won't comply, they lose the device. Okay? I, I would encourage you to do that. You have freedom to look. This is your child. Okay? They're not, they're not an independent, rationally thinking adult. They're a child. And they need your protection. You can limit Wi-Fi ac access at the router. I don't know if you know that, but if you set up your home router, you can actually get in there and limit what hours the, the Wi-Fi is available. We had to do that. We had, Actually, for, not even for our kids, it was for an exchange student we had. She was from Germany, and all of her friends were in Germany, so she'd literally be up all night texting and uh, video conferencing with her friends in Germany, and then she'd get up, you know, go to bed at 5 or 6, get up at 6.30 for school, and it was a mess. So I, I literally had to limit, the turn the Wi-Fi off at 11, and you can do that. So you can get into your Wi-Fi and set times, and you can, and some of the Wi-Fi's will let you do it down to the specific device. This device only for these hours. So I would encourage you to get in there and learn how to do that. Do not let their bedroom become a no-go zone. Your, their bedroom is your room. It's, it's your house. Okay? It is not a no-go zone. Their phone is not a no-go zone. Their social media is not a no-go zone. The right to privacy is an opportunity to hide and deceive. So, guys, be the parent. You can go into the room whenever you want to go into the room. I'm knock first if you need to knock first. But, um, no, th th there's no way they can court you out of that room. That's not their right. Next topic is communication. Communication. And this is absolutely key to the relationship that you will have with your child. Deuteronomy 6, starting in verse 6. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall talk to them. You shall communicate with them is God's command. Get your kids early on in the habit of telling you about their day. Even when they're little, how was your day? What was the best thing? What was the worst thing? What do you hope gets better? Even when they're little, get them in the habit of doing this. Talk to them on the ride home from school. Talk to them at the dinner table. Parents, this means that your children have your undivided attention. You put your phone down. In fact, I would say the, phone, the, the table, the dinner table, is a no phone zone. There are no phones at the dinner table. Take them all, put them on the kitchen counter. You can get them when you're done. But the, the table is for the people. That we have this saying in our house, BHBN, be here, be now. Be here, be now. Get off your phone, get off your tablet. You're here with these people around you. 
That's what you're doing right now. So make sure the TV is off. Make sure there's no texting. There's no social media. Make sure every kid gets a chance to talk. You may have one kid that kind of likes to talk and then one kid that doesn't. You want to draw them all out. You're in control. You control the conversation. Okay, but make this a habit. It also means you need to know what's going on in their life so that you can ask them about it. If they had a, an, a, you know, a presentation in school, you need to know what the presentation was about and ask them how it went. Now, sometimes it may be a less structured setting or one that is more apt to, well, to help them talk. You know, some kids don't like it that way. So uh, girls, if, if the girls are helping mom in the kitchen, maybe that's a good time to talk. Guys, if, if you're out with your son just shooting baskets, that's a good time to talk. Start with something they like to talk about if you want to draw your kid out. And then you can move into other topics. Now, as I said earlier, we were fairly eclectic in our schooling. Michaela, our oldest, when she was in high school, she was very interested in forensics and debate. Now, that's something you generally can't do very well as a homeschooler, which is what she was at that point. So she was well-grounded in her faith. She was solid. Uh, so we looked at sending her to public school for uh, junior and senior year. We looked at Bueller. We settled on Hutch High. They had that international baccalaureate program, which is outstanding, by the way. And then, uh, well, for the right kid. Um, and we liked the coach there better. So on Michaela's first day at Hutch High, she was shocked to find that Hutch High had a nursery. Not for the teachers. Okay? Not for the teachers. She was just shocked. She came home after that first day, and she was very excited to tell us all about it. She thought she was giving us some news that we would just go, <gasps> about. We're like, honey, we know. We know. So instead, she was exactly where we wanted her to be. She had been sheltered from that to the, until she was at a point in her development where she could look at it and see the problem and pray for the kids involved and understand what the sin is here. She got it. You know, it was, it was a little bit of an awakening for her, but it was at the right time because she was ready to process it. You know, so that worked out well. Now, key, 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 key to communication. If you remember nothing else, remember this. You must constantly, constantly bring them back to Scripture in your conversations. Bring them back to God's Word. Bring them back to God's Word. Do it over and over and over again until they're tired of it. You are in their life now, but there will come a day when you are not. There will come a day when they get to make their own decisions, and then what will they use as a guide? You must instill into them the Word of God and biblical principles. When they ask why we don't see this movie or go to that party or have this social media, bring them back to God's standard. Bring them back to God's word. If all you give them is your standards and your beliefs without a biblical basis for what you are telling them, your standards and beliefs will very quickly become your opinion. And once your opinion is put into their heart, they will reconsider it. And then they will discard it. And pretty soon, they will be living by their own opinions that are equally uninformed, biblically. So make sure you take them back to Scripture. Give to your child the gift of biblically-based standards. Now, of course, you can't protect your children forever. 
And if you think you can, you are mistaken. You have to talk to your kids about what they're facing or what they're going to face. They need to understand things like the hookup culture, age appropriate. They need to understand the hookup culture. They need to understand homosexuality. They need to understand transgenderism before they see it so that they can understand what God's actual design is for each of these situations. Don't pretend you're going to keep them from it forever. You won't. You just have to make sure they're prepared for it when they do see it. So next is leaving home. Leaving home. And this is 2 Timothy 3.14-15. to 15. You, however, continue in the things that you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from you whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. This is a big one. Michelle and I have loved every phase of raising children. From babyhood to toddler to child to teen, high school, we enjoyed it all, but dropping them off at college was a whole new ball game. That was heart-wrenchingly hard. I cried. I bawled. More than Michelle. Honestly, I did. This is where all the training, loving, and correcting gets a field trial. You're taking the training wheels off, folks. You are trusting them to make good decisions. You are trusting them to live out what they have been taught for the last 18 years. And they truly have a choice to make as to how they're going to live their life. I would hope that the pattern of regular communication continues. Ours called. Ours did. Now, the girls way more than Josh, but that's just kind of how it is. It got less frequent as they got more established and they got more of their own friends, and that's fine but they definitely checked in on a regular basis. I would also hope that they've now learned how to choose good friends because you've been practicing this with them, how to choose good friends. This was true for our kids. They really seemed to blossom in college in a beautiful way, all three of them. They had solid friends that were good friends. They had good church choices. They took possession of their faith. But what if they don't? But what if they don't do well? What if they start to make bad decisions? Well, again, keep the communication open. But understand this, you are not obligated to continue to support them or help them financially if they aren't making choices that you agree with. Do not enable bad decisions. Don't be that parent. There is a time when your child, by virtue of their actions and their choices, has declared their independence. They've decided to go their own way. You think they should go this way. You've made it very plain they should go this way. And they say in their stubbornness and obstinacy of heart, say, nope, I'm going this way. Okay, you can go that way. It is your choice. I'm not supporting that. So you're on your own on that one. That's okay. It's a hard conversation, but sometimes that conversation has to be had. You have very little control over it at this point in their life, but you don't have to finance it. I would never suggest, I would never suggest that you cut them off completely in terms of your relationship. Don't do that. But if nothing else, they will need your example and they will need your prayers. Now, empty nesting. Empty nesting and parenting adult children. This has been a, a sweet time for us. Our kids are all grown. They're, they're adults. They're all doing well. They have truly become our friends. We love them dearly. We love their spouses. We love our grandson. 
and the lines of communication are still definitely open and definitely in use. We are intentional about spending time with our adult kids and, and their families. We're intentional about it. Uh, dinners, hanging out to watch a game. We will. Michelle offers to babysit Sawyer. When advice is asked for, we give it. If it's not, we generally refrain. Empty nesting has also been an opportunity for us to serve more. Your schedule becomes much more predictable. You're not trying to balance five different schedules. Okay, it's just the two of us now. Your schedule is much more predictable, and you have opportunity to get into the church and to serve more, to disciple others more, to plug into service more. Now, another benefit from empty nesting that Michelle and I have had is it's been a new phase in our relationship. It's been very good. For so long, we were focused on the kids and their growth that it seemed like our relationship was secondary. Now, don't get me wrong. We were still doing date nights. We would still go on trips with other couples. Uh, we did an occasional marriage conference. By the way, if you're not doing date nights with no kids, get a babysitter. If you're not doing date nights, you should be. Make sure you keep your relationship strong. But we were doing those kinds of things. But be real. Even on your date nights, you're sitting there at the restaurant. What do you talk about? The kids, right? You talk about the kids. So this is different from that. It's been a time of, it's been a time of joy, uh, the joy of rediscovering each other and remembering why it is you got married in the first place. We love being at home together. We love it when the kids come over. We love the activity. We love the quiet when they're not. You know, it's very nice. Now, if there's one thing, I'm going to end up end on this real quick. If there's one thing I can impress upon you, it would be this. You will never be able to completely shield your child from the world. It will not happen. Maybe you think the best course of action for you in raising kids is to buy a cabin in the woods far from everyone else, have no internet, no social media, no TV, no friends, no presence on the net whatsoever, no dating till 30, arranged marriages, Completely isolate yourself and your family from any possible influence of the world, and then you can raise your kids as God would want you to. Christian, this is neither biblical nor effective. We are not called to isolate ourselves from the world. We are called to be in the world, but not of it. We are to be salt and light. Now, Jesus spoke on this on the last night before his crucifixion. He prayed about this exact thing as recorded by John, starting in chapter 17, starting in verse 15. John 17, 15. He prayed as he's preparing his disciples for when they leave the nest. They're getting ready to leave the nest, so he's praying for them. John 17, 15. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They're not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Christian, Jesus is saying that as believers, we get to stay here. We are in the enemy's camp. We are behind enemy lines. This is where we stay. But he wants us protected, not rescued. He wants us protected. Well, how are we to be protected? By saturating our minds with scripture. Verse 17, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Well, why? Why are we to be protected and sanctified? He tells us in verse 18, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. This is the exact same thing we do for our children. We protect them, we sanctify them through the word, and then we send them into the world. 
Christian, your kids are the arrows that you shoot into the future. They are. Never forget this. Our, our goal as parent is to instill into our children a biblical framework that allows them to identify and resist the schemes of Satan so that they can minister to a dying world. That's what we're to do as parents. How's that for a goal? Well, I've got, with that, I've left time intentionally. I'm going to bring my lovely bride up here. If you guys have any questions at all, Bring my lovely bride up here. <laughs> Please, uh, speak up, whatever. Nothing's, nothing's off the table. And it could be either one of us. <laughs> Made it. Man, you guys are doing parenting way better than we did. Yes, sir. Okay. Friendship. Yeah. Go back to that friendship yeah. Yeah. portion. Yeah. Did you ever have to, did any of your three kids have a friend that you were like, got to stop hanging out with that person? Did you ever come to that point where you chose their friend or chose to not have that friend? Can I take that? There were a few friends that were not good influences. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They weren't necessarily friends they could not be around, but I think... There were some neighbors... Oh my goodness, yes. That were <laughs> terrible influences that were like, yes. no, you're not hanging around them anymore. And you don't go into their house. Yeah. Um, as they got older, I think what we tried to do is talk, communicate, communicate, communicate with your kids. If there was a friend that was not a good example, talking to them about why this is not good. And honestly, we didn't encourage those friendships. We tried to encourage other friendships to be more of the focus. Um, they didn't have a ton of friends to choose from. They went to a smaller Christian school in high school. Therefore, you, you are friends with the 10 in your class. <laughs> so you didn't have, it wasn't like at Hutch High. Now, when Michaela was at Hutch High, it was different. It was harder. Um, but Michaela was someone who would walk to the beat of her own drum. And so she, um had her only unique struggles because of that, but that also kept her from friendships that would not have been good friendships in high school. And I will tell you also, if you have a child that struggles in high school, I told all of our kids, college is going to be so much better mm -hmm. um, because they've matured more, your friends will have matured more, um, you're going to have more common interests, you're going to be able to be more mature as you choose these friends. And I know Michaela, after she just got married, she goes, Mom, you are so right. Okay, it took her till 29 to say it. <laughs> she goes, I am so thankful that I knew that getting older was going to be good. And I would, the friendships I would have would be more valuable. But if they're facing friends that you're not happy with, they don't have to go to the house. You can say no. You can have them bring that friend to your house so that you're with them. The other good thing that you've got to realize is you've got a ministry to these friends. You can reach out to them. You can impact them because they can't pick their family life, but you can sure maybe be a haven for those friends. You might be able to bring them up in their life and, and be a testimony to them. So as they get older, you can't cut off friends like you can as easily when they're younger, but you can still have a lot of impact in your communication. Mm -hmm. Yeah. At what age-ish, I mean, I, it's probably different for every kid, but 
it seems like the depravity is getting younger and younger. And so, like, how do you, how do you balance saying no and communicating what's no when they're not necessarily age appropriate for some of the things that you had to say? Yeah, the the age. Yeah, that's a very good question, and it does it does depend on the kid a lot. That's one of the main reasons you have got to get to know the families of the kids they're hanging out with. You know, do are are our values aligning or not? And if they're not, it's like, well, how about Johnny come over to our place tonight? You know, um, and you know if they're doing sleepovers and things like that, how about they do it over at our house? And actually, we can include them in family devotions. Um, so. Mm-hmm. Uh, that yeah, there's not a right answer to that. It's just, it just really depends on your kid, who they're hanging out with, and what those families are like. Right. So, in sleepovers, I would very much be careful of that. Yeah. Because knowing me as a kid, my kids weren't like I was. I should not have gone to sleepovers because I know my nature, <laughs> and I was kind of a ornery little thing that just liked to take risks and do things that I should not have done. I, I was that kind of child. And so my parents should not have let me do this. Hey, we're happy to have you out of the house, they, honey. They were. But I was, <laughs> they were. So thank you. Yeah. <laughs> but I would be very careful with sleepovers. I yeah. would be very careful with sleepovers with your kids. Uh, um, you you got to know the family really, really well. And know who the kids are that are coming. Right. And if you don't let your kids do sleepovers till college, I don't think that's wrong. <laughs> Maybe before then, but I just think sleepovers can be really challenging. Yeah. Um, especially if it's a free reign and there's no parent watching yeah. and listening. Whoever, wherever they're at, that parent needs to be staying awake as long as the kids are awake. Oh, yeah. And be listening in. Sir. You guys mind sharing maybe an experience where um, your child made a God-honoring decision without being told and shared that with you, or you saw that, the fruit of all your hard work when you were raising them? You know, some of that fruit you honestly don't see until they get to college and they make their own decisions. Because... Let's just say your home should be a really, really easy place to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. It should be. And if it's not, you're doing something wrong. Okay. So it's when they got to college and I, you could see the friends that they were choosing were really solid believers. And you saw that they wanted to go to church and they went to church. Uh, they, got, they, they got themselves into small group discipleships and, and fellowships. You know, it, those kind of things are very, it's very gratifying to see that when you see them really take possession of their faith. So, and it would, it was really in college when, like I said, the training wheels are off and it was time to see what they would do. They made good, solid decisions. Well, and I think even in high school, the conversations you'd have, the statements you would see them make and the observations they would come up with, and you'd be like, wow, you know, okay, things are sinking in. There's some seeds of fruit. But I think, honestly, in today's world, no parent is ever thinking, oh, yay, our children have arrived. We're never, because I've not arrived. And so I think you always continue praying. Yeah. You always, you know, as they leave home, you become more the coach and the 
kind of just mentor than parent anymore, kind of more of a friend. Um, but you're still praying for them. You know, they're still facing a lot. Um, but you never arrive until we're in eternity. You know, but you see seeds of it. And another, I guess, a specific instance that we didn't before that. I mean, Josh had a serious knee injury when he was little. Um, and he had six surgeries on his knee trying to get things squared away. And it was a big deal because he was uh, he was at Central. And at Central, if you don't play basketball, you're basically persona non grata. I mean, you're, you're nobody. And that was a big deal to him. Um, he had a decision to make at that point. He was either going to trust the Lord or he was going to be bitter. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was a struggle for him. But he chose to trust the Lord. And he said, Lord, I, you must have a better plan for me. And that was super encouraging to see that. And he would have been you know, 12, 13, 14 at this time. It's a harder decision than a 14-year-old should have to make. But he had to make it. Well, and each one of your kids will have their own they battles will. that yeah, they, they struggle will. with. I mean, each one of our kids, I can tell you, I won't tell you, but they each have had the struggles that come with their makeup, that come mm-hmm. with what God's brought into their life. Um, they'll walk the path that God has given them to walk. As a parent, you can't protect them. Right. They're, they're gods. Mm-hmm. And so you help them walk through it. You help them learn. And the you see fruit, though. You can see fruit in your child's life, even when they're young. You see it in the way they respond, in the way they ask for forgiveness, the way they're correctable and trainable. You mm-hmm. see that fruit, and that fruit just gets deeper as they get older. That's true. And you're just thankful for those little glimmers of fruit. And then, honestly, it's like James said, when they're, even after college, I would say that's when you really see them make decisions for themselves. Mm-hmm. So, um and that's comforting to see that, but you continue to pray. Um. Yeah. Uh, could you guys talk a little more about, you mentioned as you're getting older and um, working toward just allowing your children, older children, to be more independent, make more decisions than folks. Like a child who's uh, maybe a little bit earlier, more spiritually mature, and getting toward later high school years, early college versus one that's maybe not a believer, not spiritual venture, but aging physically, what does that look like? How do you navigate that? You know, it, it, you, you teach them decision-making early on and it starts with something as simple as allowance. So when we did allowance, I would give the kids five bucks and then I'd give them 50 cents. I'd say, Hey, this 50 cents goes to the church. You put that in the plate. And Michaela in with her, giant heart would keep the 50 cents and put the five bucks in the plate <laughs> but then get josh to pay for everything yeah exactly <laughs> that was, uh, yeah didn't quite work out. <laughs> yeah she she did she manipulated it so that josh bought about 85 percent of the weed that they ended up buying. <laughs> but um but even in that you see are they being faithful in what you've asked them to do you know and are they making the right decision here that's just a little bit of freedom um josh josh when he saved up I remember when he did this, he, he, and he was keeping an eye on this. He saved 125 bucks. And you know what is, or at that point, was 125 bucks at that point that you could go out and buy was the complete collection of Calvin and Hobbes. <laughs> he wanted it, and he saved it up. And, and he's like, so, and he'd actually done some chores and things, so he'd saved up the money. And um, he's like, Dad, can I buy this? 
go buy it. It's great, great. And again, that, there's nothing wrong with that. That's a very reasonable decision. He had a goal. He kept it in mind. He worked for it. And good, great decision. Now, if you've got a kid that's completely failing in these decisions every time, they're not ready for the training wheels to come off. Mm -hmm. you know. And they need more instruction, and they need more time, and they need more prayer. Um, you know, but you start with the little ones and you just see how do they handle this? How do they handle this? And then you give them some responsibility. Do they actually get the trash out of the curb for Friday morning pickup? You know, um, just give them more responsibility, see how they do it. And it's a, it's a slow process. Well, and something I'd add to that is one thing that um, we would tell the kids is it's not all the same for all of you. We might do yeah, something different absolutely. with one that we did not do with the other. And I, I always, we told our kids, you need to know yourself. Yeah. Your kids need to understand their weaknesses. Yeah, they need to understand their strengths. But if they don't, if they can't be honest with themselves, and if you haven't been honest in what you've seen in them, and so it's like one child, it may be that the, like the oldest maybe started doing something at 12, while the one coming on behind is a lot less mature and may not start that till 14. Uh, you tailor parenting for your child. And if there's one that's just not developing spiritually, um, I think you do your best to protect their heart and to plant seed, the seed of God's word in their heart. God is in control of when they're going to turn to him. Um, and it may be that they go off to college and you're still not sure that they're a believer. And I would then even consider where they go for college absolutely how you direct them toward that i think you have you have the purse strings to some degree to help them or to not help them to give them wisdom in the decisions they make um guy brains don't kick into what 27 is when they say 28 28 yeah. when they say men start to really mature um women mature younger. it's actually a true statement it's a true statement i'm not, I'm not trying to. it's a true statement really <laughs> um, but they don't necessarily make the, the wisest decision um so do your best to communicate keep the communication doors open with your kids it starts when they're little, mm -hmm. and you may have a child that doesn't want to talk, then you do your best to get them to talk. There's something they love in their life. Draw it out of them. Mm -hmm. Get a ball. Say, okay, I've got a sentence. I'm going to toss it to you. It's your turn. You give me the sentence now. You've got to pull the words out on some kids. You know, we were fortunate. Michaela always loved to talk. Never was a problem. Mm -hmm. Josh had enough medical things going on that we always had a lot of time with him because he was always in therapy somewhere. Mm -hmm. Abby was the one that liked to pull away. And honestly, she could because there was always something else going on with the other two. The youngest sometimes gets lost in the shuffle. Yeah. So I, we had to really work on pulling her out because she liked being in a room with her books or, you know, doing reading and things. Mm -hmm. But we had to pull her out. So everybody's different. And now she's a good talker. Now she's a good talker. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> But aren't we all? Yeah. <laughs> but it, it has to be tailored to your kids. Um, so. I tell you what, let me, it's 8 o'clock, and I'm sure you guys got kids to pick up. Let me pray, and if you, we'll stay here as long as you guys want, if anybody wants to ask us more questions. But um, let me pray. Father, we just thank you for this time and your grace, and thank you for your love. And Lord, I thank you for the, 
precious lives that you have entrusted to us, and I pray that we would be faithful stewards of those lives, that we would be parents who lead them into godliness, who are, who are just very, very intentional about how we raise our children. We thank you for this time and for your word, and we thank you for this church. Amen.